The Sunday Grill with Crane and Crane Insurance. To compare motor and home insurance quotes across multiple different insurers, see craneandcrane.ie. Well, Kira Atwell is the woman behind myfussyeater.com. Kira is a food writer and cookbook author, and she says she's always looking for new ways to make food fun and interesting for kids. So if you're at home with small children and they're constant snacking or shouting yuck at dinners like me, then you might need a Kira in your life. She shared over 500 recipes on her site, social media platforms. She has a book and even an app. And she joins me this morning to tell me more. And Kira, I cannot say how very welcome you are to the Sunday Grill. Oh, thank you so much. It's <laughs> lovely to be on with you. Well, Kira, you have saved me in so many ways. I, <laughs> like a lot of mums, I work every day. So being at home at my with my four-year-old has made me realise that she just snacks all day. Yeah. That's a problem at the moment for a lot of people is is the constant request for snacks. <laughs> and I wonder, because I send her off to her preschool with two snacks in her lunchbox, sometimes three. I think the limit is three. So she's not getting something every 15 to 20 minutes yeah. there. Is it a little bit of boredom for kids? I think it's boredom and it's just, it's the access, isn't it? It's like easy access to food. We all do it, like a little yeah. snack here and there. But I mean, I've, I, I did, the other day on my social media share some tips about this because I have been asked so many times and I think with my kids what worked from the beginning was kind of setting like a timetable but we started off great intentions I think like most parents like home education timetable creative time learning time it's kind of gone by the wayside now but we are sticking with the snack times at least because it kind of yeah, the kids know, you know, they have a mid-morning snack, they have an afternoon snack, and it does kind of stop the constant requests all day long. Mm. And how long did that take to set in stone? Uh, pretty quickly, I think, because I did it pretty much straight away after the schools broke up. So, you know, and as you say, they're not used to constant snacking all day when they're in mm. school. They're used to having those set snack times and set lunch times. So I've been trying to kind of stick... Not exactly to like the times of meals, but, you know, if you kind of have a bit of a routine, then they know when when the food is coming, when to expect it. Okay, I need to try that. You also have another great idea with a kind of a tuck shop and a coin system that I'm trying with my four year old. Now she's obviously can't do the adding up thing, but she can almost see that the stuff like maybe popcorn will have more coins that she has to give me than an apple, for example. Yeah, that seems to be working for us. That was just another way as well that you can kind of, rather than having, you know, snack time or food time, kind of having these negative connotations of, you know, being constantly harassed and asked for snacks, Mm. turn it into kind of a fun activity. And with younger kids, yeah, my little boy has loved that idea of we've, we had like a really old kind of mud kitchen that he wasn't using in the garden. So I turned Mm. it into like a little shop for him. Um, And he's always a shopkeeper and then his older sister comes and buys and then it's helping her with the money and, you know, she's doing a lot of money with her maths in school at the Uh moment. So that's kind of helped her. So that's been a little activity to kind of that they can, you know, get on board with and just pass another few minutes of the day. (laughs) So you have a nine year old, am I right? Yeah, I've got a nine year old girl and a six year old boy. Okay, so both school goers, are they missing school at the moment? I hear a lot of my friends who have kind of eight to nine year olds are very much missing school now. Yeah, my nine year old is, she's kind of, the first couple of weeks were okay. This week I've noticed now it's a little up and down, to be honest Mm. with you. There's days she's just, just a little bit sad. You can just see, you know, she misses her friends. She does a lot of activities like dancing and swimming and 
she's missing all of those um but she's been doing a lot of facetime calls with friends zoom even um so she's still getting to to see and talk to them but she's definitely missing the interaction Mm. my little boy on the other hand is the opposite he's so Finn is autistic and we joke that like he this is his ideal scenario is to be home with just his immediate family so he's absolutely loving it I can imagine (laughs) and which one of them was the fussy eater when you started my fussy eater so it was Aoife so it was around the time that I was pregnant with Finn um that I was eating really badly myself. I kind of had that, like, not really bad morning sickness, but that kind of constant nausea for nine months, which was awful. And I was mm. eating, like, beige, bland food. Um, and I think it kind of, you know, rubbed off a bit on her because she was kind of two going on three at time at that time as well. So mm. quite a tricky age in children anyway. Um, so after he was born, I kind of decided to try to step up a bit and improve kind of what we were all eating really not just her so it kind of went from there and when you say fussy what how would you describe her as a fussy eater it's I mean she still has quite fussy tendencies she's much better but um I mean this is something I say to people it's not something you can eradicate you know overnight or within a few weeks it's kind of like kids and food and eating is something you probably have to work on until Mm. you know they're in the almost like late teenage years um but she just wanted very bland food again kind of what I was eating like very plain beige food no sauces on pasta um she's still very reluctant to try new things um so that's something we still have to work on is just like trying you know some new tastes or new veggies or anything like that it's still she still likes to eat the same stuff <laughs> but it is getting better is it in a way? definitely it's much much better um um and Finn as well like Finn can be fussy in some ways he's better at trying new things but he also kind of likes to stick to the stuff that he knows I guess all kids do really there's like mm. there's comfort in that kind of familiar foods that they see they know what it's going to look like and taste like and smell like so Mm -hmm. I think you know most kids will have tendencies you know to some extent with fussiness Mm, definitely oh definitely my four-year-old would eat pasta all day (laughs) pasta with pesto on it yeah what do you think of the whole hiding veggies chopping them up really small and hiding them in food there's so many different discussions about it there is a lot is you know there's a lot of pros and cons there's a lot of people that are absolutely for it or absolutely against it kind of like anything with parenting I kind of think it's all about kind of trying to find a balance and what works for you um and I think if you've got a very fussy child and mealtimes are a battle and they're causing stress and anxiety for you and for the child you kind of need to do what you can to eradicate that. So if you're hiding some veggies, you're removing a lot of the stress. So a lot of the Mm -hmm. battle at mealtime, you know that they're getting some goodness in so you don't feel so bad. Um, But at the same time, I would say don't remove veggies completely from the table and from the plate. They need to see them. They need to see that that they should be eaten in their whole form. Mm. So, So for example, if I am making like, a dish that has hidden veggies for my kids I'll usually serve some on the side as well okay and even if they don't eat them yeah they see them there they you know they might have a little nibble or a little try but yeah I think 
hidden veggies are great and they serve a, a great purpose, hidden veggie recipes, but just don't forget to let the kids see the whole form as well. Yeah. And isn't it a minefield? Because I think a lot yeah. of us really like I know I worry that I don't want to pass on my little nuances about food. You know, when even when my child asks for a snack, I think, right, well, that's boredom. And I know yeah. I'm a boredom snacker or a frustrated snacker. So you worry about passing on all these different issues, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of like a lot of things with parenting now, like we kind of put a lot of pressure upon ourselves to get it right and to be perfect and like none of us are none of us have it completely yeah. figured out you know because every child is different and every situation and scenario is different so you're not going to get it perfect all the time it's just mm. about you know doing your best and doing exactly. what's best for you and your child as well so you've got some great recipes up there and because it's Easter Sunday today you have a really great recipe up for involving cream eggs it's quite yes. easy if people want to have a look <laughs> on your Instagram it's my fussy eater but that's the thing about your recipes there's nothing tough about them so it's a lot of stored cupboard stuff as well and I see you've done yeah. stuff with tinned potatoes even for the situation we're in at the moment Yeah Yeah I mean the thing is I'm you know I'm not a chef I'm not like professionally qualified in in cooking at all like my background is a home cook for my kids um so everything I do kind of comes from that and um you know it's all about easy stuff that you can get and especially at the moment you know very basic simple recipes simple ingredients you know you can't be going around anymore you know looking in obscure shops for <laughs> the random ingredients You'll like glared at yeah, like we, you know, as parents, we don't have time for that at the best of times, no. let alone and now. Your so. kids can't go into the supermarket with you, so you definitely don't have time exactly, for that. Exactly, exactly. So yeah. it's more of a mad dash now to get in and out. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, but my food, my recipes has always been about that. Very simple, very easy, you know, quick, um, you know, something that you can do with a child hanging out of one leg and, you know, someone else mm. pulling you in another direction. Um you know, it's not about spending loads of time in the kitchen. It's not about spending loads of money on ingredients. It's just about making do with what you have and but being able to produce something really delicious at the same time. Great. And that's exactly what you're doing. And you have over 125,000 followers on your Instagram because of that. If you want to check Kira out, it's all available on your website, which is my fussy eater. Dot com. But if you want to check out all those photos, they are on Instagram. Kira, it was so lovely to talk to you this morning. Oh, you too, Orla. Thank you so much. The Sunday Grill on Beat 102-103. COVID-19 lockdown means that lots of companies have moved their businesses online. And for one sort of business that you think wouldn't work online is circus and street performance. But to explain how that's not the case is Enda Morn from Core Creations. And he joins me on the phone this morning. Hi, Enda. Good morning, Orla. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm very well, thankfully. How are you getting on during lockdown? Good, good. All good at the moment. Yeah, just um, staying in, staying at home and... um yeah, practicing loads of juggling at home at the moment is keeping me busy. <laughs> yeah, and we have to talk about that because I have seen your videos online on your website, uh, Core Creations, and it's an hour-long video on how to juggle. I got four minutes in and decided I was too left-handed for this. <laughs> well, you can always come back, Orla. <laughs> it's the it's one there. thing I've always wanted to be able to do. For some reason, I cannot work out how one ball could be in the air while you're throwing another two. It just looks so confusing. And you make it look easy. 
and wait till you get to five or six, then it all change, changes all together. Um, absolutely, yeah. But it's just you just have to stick with it and practice, practice, practice. Okay. But we all say to the young people, it's just practice and concentration. Okay. And is that what you're doing? You're a street performer mostly, or how would you describe what you do? Um, street performer, circus performer, community worker. Um, so I work within a few different areas. So core creations works mostly. Um, with young people um, using circus, dance, yoga and surf. Mm. So within that, we can teach all those disciplines. But um, the project that I'm mostly chatting to you about today is um, the youth circus that I run in St. Olaf's Hall on Peter Street in Watford Mm -hmm. City. And that happens every Monday, every Monday afternoon for young people between the ages of seven and 18. And we run two different classes there in St. Olaf's Hall on a Monday. And circus is a non-competitive sport, so the young people can come and partake as much as they want and as little as they want. So sometimes they shine to different things. They might work on a certain day, we might work on juggling. The next day, we might work on some stilt walking. The next day, we might work on some acrobatic skills. So it changes. And then we might work on some street performance. So we bring some stories into it and allow the young people to, to maybe build on some street performance pieces that they can display at later dates. Okay. But, um, yeah. So you can't do that at the moment? We can't do that at the moment. No, no. So that's been a big restriction for us altogether. So thankfully the project is funded by Waterford City Council. Um, it's partly funded by Waterford City Council who have been very supportive um, with the project. So just... Um, about three to four weeks ago, as soon as the lockdown or talk of lockdown started to happen, mm-hmm. I had to try and be creative of how I can continue working with the young people. Um, and I felt that it was it wasn't enough to close. It wasn't enough to, or good enough to kind of close the door and say we're back in a few weeks. I felt that this was going to go on a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. So I done my research and done a little bit of research online about what. It was actually Italy. I went to firstly and looked at what the circus schools were doing in Italy because okay. Italy was the first hit with the, with the crisis. Mm. So they had moved their circus workshops online. Now, I couldn't understand what they were saying. There were some friends that were sending me some videos, but I couldn't understand the okay. Italian. <laughs> but I could see what they were trying to do, and I thought, okay, well, that's brilliant. There's people out there. They were ahead of us, and I thought, I'm going to try. So I sat for a good while with a laptop and managed to develop some ideas and concepts and contacted some of the tutors that I normally work with. So with the funding from Waterford City Council, it allows me to bring external tutors into the programme on a weekly basis, which is normally in St. Olaf's Hall. So I wrote to Waterford City Council and I told them, I have this idea. I want to put it all online. Is, is that okay, basically, to do it? And they were very supportive and they allowed me to do it, which was great. Brilliant. So basically, I contacted my team of tutors and they were very busy. Um, they're all in self-isolation in different parts of Ireland. Mm-hmm. And they have been making videos and we upload them on a weekly basis. Um, so the young people are registered. Um, so they're going into the next term for the registration, which we normally do. So because we have funding from Waterford City Council, we waivered the fees for this term um, for the young people. So it was free. It was completely free. We just didn't feel it was a time to go asking for money or looking mm-hmm. for money from parents or anything like that at all. Okay. We decided to offer it for free. 
which also means that anybody around the country or around the world can partake in the workshop. So it's been really interesting feedback I'm getting from people all over the place, um, all over the world. Just friends of mine have seen it and shared it in New York and a few different places all together as well. Brilliant. From a little circus school in Waterford. Yeah, yeah. So it's very interesting to see. Yeah. So each Monday now, the workshops are online. Um, the tutors send in um, various tutors from different week-to-week changes. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, Tony and Megan are putting up some fantastic videos at the moment and that's this at uh, this term is kind of mostly based around acrobatic stuff with Megan and then Tony is doing some intricate stuff um, with juggling skills as well and we're going to be doing some stills walking and stuff wow. down so do the you... line but I'm trying to figure that out okay. yeah because I suppose if I was to log on now I don't have stilts do I need anything I need a few balls well, for the juggling obviously that's very interesting actually or that you say that so when I first started putting the workshops online I couldn't get any materials to the young people because of the lockdown mm. So the first two workshops were based around how to make circus equipment from anything you can find in your house. Oh, okay. Yeah, so on the website you'll see there's workshop one and workshop two. You have to complete that before you can move on to workshop three, four and five and so on. Brilliant. So the first two workshops are about getting your family to make stuff together. So it's a craft, it's a circus craft workshop for two weeks. They're on the website and it's basically about making juggling balls from rice, balloons, socks, anything like that that you can kind of find around the house and there's a detailed diagrams and stuff like that of how to make them and then when you have them then we can move on to the next that's stage great. of it. So that's God, loads of time but I'm very stuck because I couldn't do anything. I couldn't get to them mm. so I had to find a way to, to get to the young people and this was how we done that's it. brilliant. And tell me this Enda, you say that your age groups start from seven so is that kind of the age online as well? If your kids are seven onwards it's the best kind of yeah. age for them to be doing this? Okay. Well it's, it's kind of family it's family orientated mm. as well basically every week they go up at half three every Monday they're on corecreations.ie and it's on the online section um, which I've just developed I never thought I'd have an online <laughs> section <laughs> I never expected that but anyway we have an online section now and every week the videos are there so even if you haven't seen it you can look back and you can look back Brilliant. again you can go back and do the one and two so I decided to use the web- website platform because it's almost like a documentarian as well of what happened during mm. COVID-19 in terms mm-hmm. of circus. It's always going to be there. So now families have started to send me videos of what they're doing at home in their garden and some very interesting young people in Tremor mixing hurling with juggling and the parents are recording them and all. It's all on the website to see. It's very interesting. Brilliant. Well, just another example so, yeah. of a company doing something different during the lockdown and something great for the community and wider as well. Congratulations, Enda. That website again is corecreations.ie. All the videos are up there and then a new video goes up on Mondays at half three. Enda, it was great to talk to you this morning. Thanks a million, Orla. Thanks a million. The very best of luck. The Sunday Grill on Beat 102-103. Ireland's Call Initiative have been busy flying home and then housing and kidding out medics who have been living in other countries. So far this week they've brought over 20 medics from New Zealand, from Doha and Australia and they're hoping to get that number to over 100. Neil Sands is the co-founder of Ireland's Call Initiative and he's on the phone this morning to tell us more. You're very welcome to the Sunday Grill. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate being here. Tell us a little bit about your background. You spent the last 10 years in Silicon Valley. So medical issues aren't really your background, are they? No, but I will say that while I spent time in, in Silicon Valley, it's kind of one of the most optimistic places, I think, in the world. And the greatest natural resource that Ireland has is its optimism and its generosity. And so during times like this, you kind of 
you see the good in, in people and Irish people are very kind of willing to step forward and, and we saw that certainly out in California over the years with the droves of Irish people that would, would come visit and so when something like this happens I think it's just kind of in us to be able to step forward and, and do what we can. You don't need to be a technologist to do that I guess. Mm, true. What do you mean by Silicon Valley is one of the most optimistic places that you've ever been? I think the if you stand in, in a line of the Starbucks to get a, a coffee, the three guys in front of you and three women behind you or, or vice versa are all talking about the next big thing. Every lady is the next Charles Sandberg and every guy is the next Mark Zuckerberg and everyone thinks that their product is going to be the next Google or Facebook or whatever it is. And there's just kind of this innate optimism that people have that the future is going to be better than the present. That's in Irish people as well. And I think it comes out in droves when something like, like COVID-19 strikes and, and people get behind, you know, those on the front line particularly is what we're seeing the need for. Yeah, true. It's nice to hear that about Silicon Valley because I think as Irish people, we're terrible slaggers. If we heard people talking like that, we'd be like, who does your man think he is? Yeah, uh, that's true. I'm, I'm very thankfully grounded. I'm from Herman Beckham <laughs> and um, the, the tech industry is alive and well in Herman Beckham, I can tell you. But uh, yeah, there's just... There's a sense, I think, as well, that you know, folks who have gone abroad and, and come back have um, they've got a different experience that maybe we can we can grab onto and learn something from, and and the old streets of New York adage. Um, mm. But I think that that's true of these folks that are coming back as well from Australia, New Zealand, Kuala Lumpur, the US, Canada. All of these folks that are away, they're coming back to provide what they've learned out there to the Irish people now, yeah. and that's a, that's a net positive. True. Now, this is an ever-changing scenario that we're in at the moment. So tell us about what you're hoping to do in the next few weeks with Ireland's Call. We have a very simple mission. So we said that we would fly the heroes, house the heroes and kit the heroes of our front line with what they need to fight COVID-19. I think our front line are maybe the greatest asset we have on the national balance sheet. And so as many pairs of hands as we can get from abroad home to bolster their ranks because so many of them are facing um, COVID-19 themselves, right risk of infection themselves, and some of those um, won't be able to stay on the front line for for very much longer. So what we're trying to do is bring those folks back from abroad who have the experience um, and knowledge and skill set to be able to, to shore up the front line. But then in addition, they need some other logistical help, financial support, certainly for flights. Many of them have been cancelled and accommodation. And so when they land in Dublin Airport, that's really only the start of the journey. They have to get equipped with the right PPE. There's registration that they must undergo, but they need somewhere to sleep too. And so for the first 14 days, they're kind of under pressure to find somewhere as soon as they get get, uh, picked up or dropped off rather at at Dublin Airport because parents are leaving the keys of their car on the roof and walking away, having not seen their son for a couple of years. We've, Mm. We've seen that a couple of times this week. And hoteliers have been, I would say, reluctant to stand forward into that gap because I think many of them are waiting for government contracts, perhaps, to occupy their whole hotel. Mm-hmm. Now, we have had a handful of people across the country um, who are hoteliers who have come forward, but just droves of people or have come forward with their own accommodation to say, you can have my spare room, you can have my ensuite room, or I've got an empty apartment in Dublin and give that to a frontliner. Brilliant. That's so great. So you fly them over, you house them while they're in isolation for the 14 days, and then you're kitting them out as well. What sort of medics have been responding to this? Is it from nurses to doctors, but age groups as well? Is it a maybe an age group that was considering coming home for a while anyway? I think there's a, a very broad range of people. So the skill set, certainly, that you mentioned, um, radiographers as well. There's respiratory nurses, doctors, there's SHOs and regs. And we have folks that are very early stage in their career um, who have uh, landed already. We also saw you know, a, a huge number prior in the week prior um, came back too. These are 
junior doctors, very talented uh, young people. But also we're finding, you know, two and three um, children in families where both parents are doctors and they're thinking of coming back as well. Mm. The issue for them is not so much flights, right? So because some of these folks can, can very well able afford their own flights, but there's a huge logistical problem. Mm-hmm. Moving somebody, for example, from Christchurch to Auckland uh, when the country is locked down in New Zealand. So we've got folks uh, we are very uh, lucky to have Lionel, Lawler, Hughes and Sands working non-stop around the clock, 24 hours logistically to get these people back. And that's that's a major hurdle. So are these people coming home for good then, Neil, or are they coming home for as long as they're needed? What have they been saying to you as they come home or they or they get in contact with you? For many of them, they are coming home for as long as this thing uh, will last. My experience, um, and certainly have been, been abroad for as long as I have, um, for every month you spend away, the likelihood of you ever leaving where you stay is, is very, very little. So I think I went over initially to San Francisco for a year. And 10 years later, I came back. I think mm-hmm. people are generally very, very welcoming of this help home. And I'd be very surprised to see an exodus of, of our front line um, that have, have returned. True. OK, well, how can we help if we wanted to help Ireland's call your initiative? Really simple. So every cent, we're, we're a non-for-profit organisation. So every cent that uh, we receive goes to flying the heroes, housing the heroes and kidding them with the front line. So even the price of a cup of coffee is a massive help and, and bonus to us on answerirelandscall.com. Also, anyone who's got accommodation who can come forward, we have a forum for those who can offer the 14 days or even a little bit longer than that in short-term leasing. Um, lots of people are donating their uh, accommodation that they've emptied at the moment. So that's a, that's a huge boost. And finally, there's been a handful of Irish businesses that have come forward as well, and they're willing to sponsor a doctor. So it's a very, uh, very tangible thing for business to be able to do because the knock-on effect of even the 25 that we've flown in the last week, the knock-on effect of those 25 people who can see, you know, up to 15, 20 folks a day mm. over the course of a week or a month, that's a huge population of people that are seeing Irish people that are seen in our in our hospitals that wouldn't be seen otherwise. Okay. So I'd call on those uh, those folks who can afford to to help sponsor a flight with us to do so. Okay. And are these medics coming home and going to various hospitals around the country? Is it mostly Dublin and no, know, all over the country? And are know, hospitals calling out for them then as well? They are. They are indeed. Sorry okay. to across you. So uh, we've had a number of folks um, outreach to us from uh, senior leadership within hospitals saying, "Look, we're in we're in need of this particular capacity. If you see it coming across your books, please." Um, let the folks know that that we have spaces for them. Some of the hospitals are helping with accommodation as well, which is a huge push. Um, but I will say that this initiative is cross-border. Um, the coronavirus won't respect any border, and mm. neither should we in fighting it. And so we've flown a number as well that are going to uh, provide help um, in Belfast and, and uh, in the north of Ireland. Um, and so that's a benefit for everybody within the bounds of the island. And long may that continue, hopefully. Well, well, it's an amazing thing you're doing, Neil, with the Ireland's Call initiative. As you said, the website is answerirelandscall.com if people want to see what they can do to help. But in the meantime, best of luck with everything and stay safe. Thank you so much. Likewise, and likewise to all of your listeners. The Sunday Grill on Beat 102-103. Well, this weekend should have been the start of the tourism season in the southeast and beyond. So how has lockdown affected counties in the southeast that depend on tourism trade? Eileen O'Rourke is from Carlo Tourism and she joins me this morning. Hi, Eileen. Hello, Orla. How are you? Good in the circumstances, mm. as as you've rightly pointed out, uh, the tourism sector has been really decimated um, as a result of COVID nineteen. Yeah, I can just um, imagine. So, 
I suppose unlike anything else that has hit the country um, in, in former years, we've all, be, all been through foot and mouth and SARS and ash clouds, etc. But um, this is something unparalleled, really. And a lot of people talk about, aren't we lucky this didn't happen in the winter when it was dark and cold, that at least we have the bright evenings. But I'm from mm. a beach village in County Wexford that a lot of Carlow people know well. I'm from Ballymoney. And I know from old that this weekend, the Easter bank holiday, is the start of the summer season. Yes, yes, that is. Um, well, I suppose... For us, sometimes it, you know, the trickle begins to happen around St. Patrick's Day, yeah. but definitely the Easter Bank Holiday weekend uh, kickstarts it completely. And um, there is obviously uh, nothing able to happen because of the restrictions. And, you know, it has a detrimental impact. Um, and the, the, I suppose the difficulty will be when we will be able to come back and trade normally because um, that is still very uncertain at mm. present. What has been cancelled so far? What has had to have been pushed to one side? Um, in terms of festivals, I suppose the the very big festival that has been uh, pushed um, so far is the Pan-Celtic International mm. Festival. And that's huge. So that is very big. So from... Um, Literally next Tuesday until next Sunday, we would have had 2,000 overseas visitors in here from the Celtic countries of Brittany, Scotland, Cornwall, uh, Northern Ireland, and obviously Ireland itself. So that has gone completely, and obviously it would have attracted a large uh, domestic audience as well. Mm -hmm. And then looking ahead, um, the actual uh, Carlo Arts Festival um, is... The physical event is cancelled, but I do understand that they are hoping uh, to have a virtual festival. So what are you doing these days in Carlo Tourism? What can you do? Well, in terms of, um, believe it or not, there's a lot of work still ongoing mm. uh, behind the scenes. Um, so one part of our work is obviously the marketing of Carlo um, as a holiday destination. So in terms of our social and our online uh, we're very much uh, posting details about uh, premises that might be trading online. So, for mm-hmm. example, um, some of our garden centres, including Arboretum Home and Garden uh, Heaven, uh, they're still trading online. And then we're also posting just nice images um, in terms of when the county will be back up and running. And some of our restaurants are also doing takeaway services. So, um, we're doing that um, on social. And then in terms of uh, the product development side of things, so we work very closely uh, with Carlo County Council, who provide funding for um, a range of measures under the Town and Village Programme. Um, so that is uh, looking at small-scale infrastructure in our towns and villages. So some of the programmes that we're involved with there at the moment uh, would be the installation of storytelling map boards um, in in this year, it's in nine towns and villages. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're also doing a heritage trail in Michel, and um, we're doing two what we call interactive maps. So it's both an online version in terms of video content and then a print version. So that still takes an amount of time mm-hmm. um, to actually develop those. We do have other events 
um, in terms of our Big Houses Festival and our Autumn Walking Festival that have not been cancelled yet. They're in the latter part of the year, so they're September, October. Okay. So we are waiting to see what will happen with those okay. and we're we're still trying to do some contingency planning around them. So there's lots happening and I suppose even in the midst of, as you say, uh, your home village would have been full of visitors this weekend, this will pass. And there exactly. will be a time when our visitors will come back. Exactly. And I suppose what I'm very conscious of is that we are ready for them when when uh, when they do come back. Mm-hmm. And that takes a lot of planning as well. It does. It does. And you are working away there. If people want to check out uh, what Carlo Tourism is doing right now, you've loads of details of lots of things happening uh, on, in the online sense and delivery sense on your Facebook is probably the best place to see it all. Eileen, it yes. is Carlo yes. Tourism if you search it there. But in the meantime, let's hope that we get to Carlo sooner rather than later and this all passes safely. Eileen, thank you so much for talking to us this morning. Thank you, Orla. The Sunday Grill on Beat 102 103. It's Donald O'Donoghue from the RT Guide. I didn't realise you were doing that segue thing. Did you not? I'm just getting it now. Donald O'Donoghue, who sometimes <laughs> doesn't segue. understand what sometimes I'm talking about. Sometimes he has no clue what he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? Good, 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 good. How good. are you feeling? What's the mood like this week? What's the food like? The mood. Oh, the mood. <laughs> <laughs> I might feel like I'm in prison here. Look at the four walls. Oh, the food. The food's okay, actually. <laughs> no, the mood is okay. It's kind of like, you know, Easter weekend, you're going, oh my God, Easter Sunday, mm. uh, Easter eggs. Overdosing yeah. Already. Yeah. yeah. I got a was, lovely one. Oh, did you? Yeah. Was it, what, was it, was it one of those? It was just, uh, no, it was just a really random one from one of the supermarkets. It was a bunny, but it was one of the nicest chocolates I've had. And obviously I've had it all already. So. Can I ask you, when you eat, when you eat those chocolate bunnies, what part do you stop with? Start oh, with the, the, ears, the, oh ears. the ears. You take the ears off first. Okay. Yeah. So you can't hear, the, can't hear them scream. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> you know, that brings back such a memory of when I was a kid. I got a mm-hmm. chocolate hen for Easter and I never ate it because I really worried about that. Hen and I oh, hen, okay, yeah. yeah, like babe, yeah. like a chocolate pig. Yeah. But I've matured since, and I just <laughs> ate those ears like they were my chop, chop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, you have some exciting television news for us. A, a, a ser- I can't even believe it's series three of this, but Killing Eve is back on Tuesday. Yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. At ten fifteen and RT one, it's incredible. Actually, uh, you're right. I thought when I watched season two, well, when I say season one was just was just a knockout. Oh, Came out of the blocks, like, mm. did you like season one? Loved it. Mm. Yeah, I came out of the blocks twenty miles an hour from Phoebe Waller Bridge. I mean, we all know we all know about Phoebe Waller Bridge now, mm-hmm. flea bag and everything else. Uh, yeah, but uh, fantastic and great performance by Jodie Comer as the as the, as the villainess, mm-hmm. as the as a hit woman. Um, and this is season three. I mean, you've, have you watched season two? Just to yes. Now I okay. liked season two, but okay. I didn't. No, I I very much liked it. I didn't think it was anything compared to season one. But if I'm right, Phoebe Waller Bridge wasn't as involved in season two because she was off doing Bond. Yes, that's correct. That's mm. correct. Yes, she was going to leave it to others to do a lot of the work for. Um, uh, the plot at the end of season two, uh, I mean, so we, uh, Eve was left for dead in Rome by yes. Villanelle. Villanelle played by Jodie Comer. Eve played by Sandra Oh. Um, so Eve is left for dead in Rome, um, but uh, but she's obviously not dead. <laughs> so she's attempting to rebuild her life. And Villanelle, who believes that Eve is dead, has gone on to move on to other things. And she's made an offer 
uh, of a brand new opportunity, which presumably means another hit, which you can't refuse. Um, yeah. It's got the usual cast. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, a few, it's got a really good cast. It's it got does. Kim Bodnia. Remember that chap from, mm. what was that? Gandhi uh, drama. Oh, yes. And the it went, bridge. they made it for America as well. Yeah. The bridge. Yes. Was it the bridge? It was. Uh, uh, yeah. And also it's got Fiona Shaw. I said Fiona Shaw as well. She's brilliant plays, in it. Because, yeah, she's very, very good in it actually yeah. as well. And they have fashion. Ah, Fashion yeah. is one of the biggest stars of Killing Eve. Even mm. Fiona Shaw, like it's not just Jodie Comer, Villanelle's, like mm. her fashion in it is fabulous. But even Fiona Shaw wears the nicest. Stylish. I love it. Mm. I love how stylish it is. Yeah, it's, it's stylish. And it also got some good locations as well. You mentioned Bond there. Um, people mm. the bridge got to play Bond. It's kind of certain Bond elements as well, isn't it? Because I mean, the locations as well mm. is quite stylish, quite yeah. good locations. And it moves around a lot as well. And like car chases and things. And car chases. There we go. Yeah, it's actually Bond. Yeah, uh, it is. They are. There That's why she's <laughs> but it is Killing Eve season three or two one on Tuesday at ten fifteen PM. Then the next night on Wednesday at nine PM on Sky Comedy there is a show called Run. Mm. Do you know anything about this? No. Okay. Well this is um this looks quite intriguing. I've seen a small bit of it actually. Don Gleason plays um Oh, like him. Yeah, I like Don Gleason. And he's he's quite a good he's got a good comedic turn as well, actually. I think Don Gleason has mm. with with a bit edgy sometimes. Um, again, this is actually um Funny enough, coincidentally, this is actually from the people behind um, Fleabag, Vicky Jones, who okay. who worked on the original, and Phoebe Waller-Bridge is obviously involved. She's an exec producer in this, and she pops up in a guest in a cameo role in the series as well. But the story is basically about um, two former lovers who, uh, when they break up, um, Don Gleeson plays one of them, um, and Merit Weaver, who won the Emmy Award, she plays the other. Anyway, 17 years ago, they break up, uh, but they say if either of them were to text the, the word run, R-U-N, to the other person. And if the other person takes them back, run, that would mean they drop everything and they get back to where they were and resume oh, the relationship, okay? I like it. Mm, so that's, that's the premise. So one day, um, the woman is hanging around her, on her phone. She gets run from Donald Gleeson's character. And she goes, what? So she texts run back. So they meet up in Grand Central Station. And from there on, it kind of takes off in the places you might never have guessed. Oh, I, I mean, like she, the idea of this. She has, she's wondering, first of all, obviously she's wondering, why did he text her in the first place? What, where is that coming from? You know, has he, has he broken up with somebody? He hasn't. Has he lost his job or whatever job? No, he isn't. Uh, so she's wondering. And then she is like, you know, are you going to be totally honest with me? And she, he goes, it's in the trailer. Is anybody totally honest with anybody? So, ding, ding, ding. Nice. It's kind of, it's, it does sound, I like the premise. I like the idea. And me the too. actors are good. The two Great. good actors as well. Okay, good stuff. Uh, so that is Wednesday, 9pm, mm. Sky Comedy. Mm. I call Ron. Is there such a thing called Sky Comedy or is it not just Sky? There is a Sky, Sky Comedy. Oh, I yeah, did yeah. not know that. I didn't know that either, but yeah. Okay. Probably is on Sky, but it's called actually. Yeah. Let's talk BBC Two. Um, it's called Devs on 9 pm. What day is this on Wednesday as well? Wednesday and Thursday, actually, at 9 o'clock okay. at both times on BBC Two. Now, this uh, is by Alex Garland, who you say is the man who brought us Ex Machina, and I'm say is the man who brought us The Beach. So yeah, that's true. Two very different, different, movies. From different yeah. Years, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Ex Machina, if you haven't seen it on, on Netflix, mm. it's really, really good. I mean, have you seen Ex Machina? Yes, I have. Um, I saw it in the cinema. With yeah, Donald Gleeson again. It is Donald Gleeson. Hey, yes. Donald, yeah, weird. Mm. It's all, all coming together. Um, but this one is, again, a sci-fi type type series as well. It's uh, he, also, he also did Annihilation, which is also on Netflix, Alex Garland, since we're in the Alex Garland thing. But this one is actually um, about... Um, this chap is recruited, it's called Sarah Guy, is recruited by a secretive development company, a uh, computing firm, and he goes off to work for the firm, and then when he doesn't come home, his girlfriend Lily is wondering what's going on. So she decides to take upon herself to investigate this company, Devs, and see what's, what's happening, and oh. leads her into this kind of very strange conspiracy, okay. which could 
going to change the whole world upside down. Wherever. Oh, I like the sound yeah. of this. Okay. Yeah, again, a really good premise. I've seen nothing of this, actually, but I do like uh, Nick Offerman, who was... Uh, Nick Offerman, yeah, number from Parks and Rec? Yes. He's, he's, he plays the sort of the mysterious um, head of the, the organisation. Okay. So he's, he's in it. Um, yeah. Good stuff. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's got elements of Ex Machina as well, actually. If you've watched Ex Machina, it's got the kind of strange kind of mystery, sci-fi mystery thriller type thing. I'll definitely check this out. Yeah, the production values are very good in this party. I haven't seen it, but I heard it's really, it looks really good and the production values are really good and it's well written. Um, I will check it out, yeah. But I'm really, really intrigued of, all, of those three. The one I'm most intrigued by is Run, actually, because I'm just curious to see yeah, what happens there. Yeah, I like the idea of that as well. Yeah. Okay, let's give the rundown to that. that uh, what we were just talking about is Devs. It's on 9pm BBC2 on Wednesday and Thursday. Also on Wednesday is Run at 9pm on Sky Comedy and then Killing Eve is back Tuesday or T1 at 10.15pm. Can I just give you a couple of suggestions just yeah, for things you can watch now that are totally uh, not even bingeable because there's not that many of them but things that are on players the first one is that Three Identical Strangers is now on Netflix if you haven't seen that documentary that everyone was talking about last year Um, season three on all four season three of Friday Night Dinners started about two weeks ago so you have I think two or three episodes have you ever watched Friday Night Dinner? I haven't oh don't it is brilliant yeah Yeah. what is it? so uh, your man Simon Bird who was in The Inbetweeners He's yeah. one of the stars of it. As is, lo- lots of people that you'd know. Tamsin Gregg is in oh, it. Man, I've seen it last, I was watching this last night. Mark Heap uh, is uh, in uh, it. On Claire. It is so funny. And it's got Mark Heap as a yeah. horrible neighbour with a dog. Yeah. He has an station dog, comes around all the time. It's My brilliant. wife said to me, you've got to watch this, it's really funny. Yeah. And last night we were watching an episode where, oh, it's just crazy, but it's actually, yeah, I, yeah. I enjoyed it. It's actually, it's quite fun. And the yeah. thing is, if you haven't seen any of it, all the seasons are up on box sets on all four at the moment. It will make you laugh out loud. There was a scene I watched in one of the episodes uh, a few nights ago where just something horrific happens with the toilet and I've never laughed so much. So that is there on all four. Mm, sounds great. Brilliant, Donal. I will talk to you next week. Absolutely. Sometime. Sometime next week. Sometime, sometime next week. It doesn't really work, does it? No. <laughs> oh, I get you. I forgot all about that joke at the start. Thanks, Donal. <laughs> Thanks, Donal. Bye. The Sunday Grill on Beat 102-103. Well, it's hard to work out what day it is, let alone the fact that schools are out and colleges are out on their Easter holidays. But still, work continues on exams and assessments across the country. IT Carlo is no different and David Deneef is the registrar at the college. He's on the phone to tell us how they are adapting to the new normal. Hiya, David. Good morning, Norla. Where are you working from these days, David? Are you a home I'm primarily worker? Wor- I am primarily working from home, yeah. We've had to go in a few days, all right, to uh, uh, get, get, get arrangements in place, but primarily working from home. And how's that going for you? That's a bit different. It's the same for everybody. It's a, it's a, it's a new normal, whatever a normal is, but it's a new yeah. normal. And, and we've all got very used to video conferencing and teleconferencing. Yes. Like. And you know what I think is what's really great about this is that it will really let people see whether working from home as part of their work works for them or not. You know, I'm a part time lecturer and I'm also working radio. And, you know, I'd like to see my students for classroom activities but I think it's colleges that really got into gear the minute this was announced, what, over four weeks ago, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. I mean, the, 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 I still remember the date, the 12th of March, with the Taoiseach mm-hmm. announcement from Washington on, on, on the, the morning. And um, it came, I won't say it came as a bolt out of the blue. We knew coronavirus was getting serious. We knew mm. stuff was happening. Trinity had and closed it, at that stage, yeah, hadn't Trinity it? Trinity had, yeah, they'd had a couple of, they'd had a case and... 
it was kind of coming, this is coming. And then over the previous couple of weeks, we've been keeping an eye on it. We'd had a group here looking at kind of what would happen and we'd start putting up the signs and letting people know about washing their hands and all the good social etiquette, you know. Um, and then one of the other things that we did as well, we actually had started providing training on online, just in case. We said, let's do a bit of online training. Mm. So lecturers started basically looking at the technologies that were available to them. A lot of them we had here already, and more and more they began to use them. So when it came to the 13th of March, the day after, and we said to people, we want to do as much as possible online, an awful lot of people were very prepared, and then an awful lot more people were able to step up, to were able to do the training and get ready for this. And what was fantastic was that the, the staff and the students all bought into that. You know, they really be, mm. it became a very new normal very quickly. And I suppose we probably we probably forgot that an awful lot of our students are very deeply literate, very used to these platforms, very used to using the technologies, and 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 really they've they've shifted very quickly to be able to do that. You know, so and that, I, I suppose we were delighted with the rate in particular of the online delivery take up and and the response by everybody, our support staff, our academic staff, and most of all by our students in engaging with that. And at the same time, I suppose you're dealing with very different types of students in different years and doing different courses, be they quite practical or exam-driven. So you have a whole gambit of issues to deal with. We do. I mean, and again, I know I kind of said, you know, we still have cohorts of students who are more mature than others who needed that bit more support. So we've actually maintained, for example, students being able to ring uh, a number or log on to a particular Zoom or uh, Microsoft Teams call and actually talk to people and get support, you know, to, on a one-to-one basis. Mm. And, like for some of our later year students, they had a different pressure again. Like they come to our final year students and they're in the middle of doing dissertations, you know, and they're trying to write up their dissertation while at home and balancing all you know, they're dressed their lives as well, you know, their families um, and, and and everything that goes with that. So for some of them, it was it, it has been a, it's been tough, you know, and they've done, done a really good job. But we have tried to factor in that we support them by giving them extensions, by giving them the deferrals, that they, that they get more time to get stuff done, that, uh, you know, we are cognizant of the fact that people are facing this very changed situation. Mm. And then even college life itself, especially for those final year students. I can remember my last year in college and those last few months were all about celebrations and it was quite poignant to be with people. They're missing out on all that. As a, um, you know, um, we, we put up a video um, last week on the college website of a, um, it was actually done by Glass Eye Productions in, in Thomastown Forest and it shows the college empty and you walk through it. It's very poignant to see like a, an empty library, mm. an empty an empty restaurant and an empty, you know, uh, cafe. You know, it's just there's something very, an empty classroom. There's something really poignant about that and it's not really who we were. You know, the stuff that we would have done like a, an awards ball, we would have had a clubs and societies ball, we would have, you know, things to mark the year that we've had. Like, we had a really good, successful sports year this year where mm. we got to the final of both Fitzgibbon and the Sigerson um, GEA tournaments. And really, we probably will never get to market fully, you know, because there's people who left on, who walked out the door on the 12th of March, probably will come back here next time for their graduation mm. and then we'll never be back in the institute again or, mm-hmm. you know, it'll be very different for them. So it's just, it is very strange and kind of, at this remove, it kind of gone, oh, this, this, this is kind of sad, you know? Yeah, and it's almost hard for us to compute it in our heads because we're still in the middle of it. I think when we look back on it, we'll realise the things that we've missed. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, sure that's the same for, for everything, though. You know, you mm-hmm. look at how it's impacted on family occasions. I had, I, I was meant to be having a communion in a matter of weeks, you know, a couple of weeks' time with my little belly, you know. And, and you changed. just think that's gone by the wayside, has it? Well, I don't, it's just been postponed. We don't know mm. when it's going to happen, you know, and mm. that, that's, not, that's not been critical of anybody. We, just, no. we don't know, you know, mm. so it's purely, yeah, that's it. So it's yeah, we won't forget time. this for a long time. Do you think from what you've seen and what you've experienced that colleges could do a lot of stuff, more stuff online. As I was saying at the start, I, I do miss the classroom experience. Do, do you, I know we're doing as much as we can, but do you think this is an example of how we could be doing more stuff on, uh, online or do you feel that the classroom is really essential? I, I personally, and I think an awful lot of people here in the Institute would feel the same, that face-to-face contact beats almost everything. Mm. You know what I mean? It's nothing like it. That said, it probably has opened up new opportunities. Um, I don't think it, um, online or uh, fully online learning will ever truly replace what can happen in a classroom, you know, mm-hmm. in a one-to-one or in a... Like, we can't replicate key elements of what we do. We can't, for example, replicate somebody standing in a science lab and doing a test in a science lab or somebody standing in an engineering workshop and working on a particular piece of machinery. Or, you know, we've got an aviation course here, you know, standing beside a plane. You know, mm-hmm. You're never going to be able to replicate that fully mm-hmm. online. Um, that said, though, it, it probably has highlighted to us that there are things that we probably could do online, you know, that would fit in alongside the um, face-to-face and the other learning activity. Yeah, yeah. So lessons learned. Um, and, yeah. you know, what what really is missing from places like that and from colleges and all different types of things is that sense of community has gone in a way. Yeah, and it's just so hard to try and replicate that online. You know, it's just so difficult to to get that at this remove, you know, and that's the one thing you spot, not alone in education, but throughout, mm. is this absence of clubs meeting up to train, this absence of people going about their daily business and meeting for coffee and meeting in groups, you know, so, it, but a huge thing in college, and particularly for people going to college, is that when you're sitting in the canteen having a cup of coffee or you're going for a pint with a friend or you're, you know, you're going to a club, a club activity, you know, you, that's all missing at the moment. And, mm. Mm, and not and and can't can't be back. Yeah, you just can't. It's very difficult. Yeah. Well, look, we are doing the best we can. And it sounds like IT Carlo have everything in place to ensure that their students carry on over the next few months. Best of luck with it. Thanks very much, Orla, and take care. Thanks a million for talking to me this morning. That was David Denifi, is the registrar at IT Carlo. The Sunday Grill on Beat 102 103. Well, we're all trying to find novel ways to stay connected and keep our routine and some sort of semblance of normal life. But what if normal life included dating? Is that all gone by the wayside? Is dating a big no-no in a world on lockdown? Well, Michelle Heffernan thinks not. And with over three billion swipes on Tinder since March 29th, she might have a point. Michelle is here this morning with all her thoughts on love in lockdown. Hello, Michelle. Hello. Good morning. Are you looking for love in lockdown? (laughs) (laughs) Um... I'm not going to lie. I, like many people, downloaded some dating apps. Okay. Were you a dating app type person? You're newly single, are you? No, yeah. I'm single not too long. Mm. So, you know, I just was a bit of entertainment, a bit of fun. And I think that's what a lot of people are downloading them Mm -hmm. for because, God almighty, we are looking for ways to stay entertained. But um, I'm finding that a lot of people are having really in-depth and meaningful conversations on dating apps as opposed to your... 
you know, Don't hello, like how are you? Game. It's gone. Or maybe an indecent proposal mm-hmm. of some kind. Um, people are actually getting to know each other, which and is great. And that's lovely. Yeah. Um, and did that surprise you? You've been researching this, of course, for an article which is out on Image magazine. Yeah, it came uh, out last at, night. At the moment, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was surprised to find that people are actually finding creative ways to date when it comes to taking it outside the dating app. So I spoke to one lovely girl from Waterford and she said, she was like me, she just downloaded it around Paddy's Day, said that she'd do it for a bit of entertainment, but she matched with a guy and they kept talking for, and you know, because they couldn't meet, they had to keep talking and talking. And eventually, after the two of them, I think had had a couple of drinks over Zoom, they had a phone call. And now they're talking like every night on the phone and they're making plans about, you know, maybe post lockdown what they'll do. And she said, look, you know, I, it might not transpire to be something physical, but at least I know it's not going to be awkward. And mm. I already know that I really get on with him. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I spoke to another lady. She's in Kildare, Linda. And I loved listening to her because she had all these creative ideas for dates that she had done, digital dates. Her and a guy that she had matched with uh, did a tour of San Diego Zoo together. Oh, wow. Isn't that amazing? Brilliant. Because You'd you can do tours of, of like Dublin Zoo and I think um, National Galleries mm. and all that. So, you know, aside from just sitting down and talking, you can actually partake in an activity together. Him and herself played Cards Against Humanity on one of their oh, dates. Oh, yes. Love that game. And now she told me that he's going to play it with her family. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I know, so it's very fast. daring. Yeah. I know, yeah. But she, and she said to me, you know, um, before this, the idea of talking to someone on phone or video mm. would have left me cold. Yeah. But you know, we do have to look. If you want to take, if you really want to keep that conversation going, you do have to get creative. And it doesn't mean that you can't get to know someone. True. You just have to come up with a different way to do it. And I think that was maybe like Irish people were never great at dating anyway. Oh God, no. It was all about oh God, shifting no. in nightclubs, yeah, and then yeah, you yeah. might see that person again. So it is and kind of the American way of doing it things. It absolutely mm. is. And you know, look, I know a lot of us might need um, some Dutch courage. Uh, to chat to someone on a date, you still can do that. You can still have a drink with someone over Zoom. Um, you can still have a bite to eat with someone over Zoom. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 I just think it's it's really nice to hear that people are having more longer conversations and more genuine conversations. Yeah, and maybe it's what online dating was meant to be at the start and yeah. suddenly it just became about swiping and hookups. I know. I actually think that when I thought about it, it's bizarre that you would match with a person agree to meet with them and you have never spoken to them on the phone. Mm. You don't know what they sound mm. like. You that sounds a bit dangerous You don't have a me. sense of their personality. Mm. Um, so maybe this is the great litmus test for online dating. You know, is this person actually worth seeing in real life? And did you find or maybe you didn't find out that people are willing to go even a little bit further on their radius then? I know a lot of people will say, oh, oh I yeah. didn't date that person because they lived in Kerry or... Um, I suppose I found when I spoke to Tinder, they um, have introduced this thing called Tinder Passport, Mm -hmm. um, which again is a way, I suppose, for them to sort of keep people entertained. But this was something that you had to pay for before where you could move your location. So now if I wanted to see, you know, well, what's it like up in Galway? I could just move my Tinder location there and start chatting to people there. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I even had someone message me from America and I was like, why are you on my Tinder? And are you okay with that? Um... (laughs) It's not, well, what this person said, I was not okay with. Okay. <laughs> I, I could not say it on so air. So it's still going on. It's still, that yeah, kind of thing yeah, is still yeah, happening. Yeah, that kind of thing is still going on. I think there are some guys 
looking for some girls to break the rules. Okay. Yeah. And are people breaking the rules, do you think? <sighs> I'd say it probably is. Oh, that freaks and me out. I don't like to say it, but, you know, I know from talking to these girls that, um, yeah, they have gotten proposals of mm. do you want to bend the rules now in fairness to them they're all coming up with creative ways to just keep chatting and one girl did say to me that you know she, she realised that this guy she matched with only lived 10 minutes away from her mm. you know so there was the opportunity for an accidental rendezvous but she said you know what I just need to get over myself yeah and I just not need forever to, you know it really isn't yeah um, and I think you just kind of have to think I know this sounds grim but like would you rather go on a date or would you rather watch someone you love Mm-hmm. get really ill mm, you know, so. exactly or have to then go into self-isolation yeah. yourself for yeah. 14 days Yeah. okay some interesting stuff happening on yeah. the dating scene thanks to lockdown I think we're all finding out there's a lot of memes going around about us not going back to our old normal because that wasn't working and yeah. this is another example yeah, of how I'd like to think that this will kind of lay the foundation for people when it comes to using dating apps in the future Yeah, and maybe just get taking that time to get to know someone a bit more get to know their personality and really you're going to have a better date in real life if you do that true true well you can check out more of Michelle's thoughts on dating in lockdown and some of the people that she talked to on image.ie that article went to, was out from yesterday and there is a guide to sex during the coronavirus which I was quite intrigued by on sexualwellbeing.ie there's yeah. advice for everything yeah. Yeah, you're back later on today I'm coming in this afternoon this is very exciting don't tell us Oskilga because okay. I won't understand but tell okay. us what you're doing okay so <laughs> I'm starting a show a bilingual show which means it's going to be half English and half Irish. This is a brilliant idea. I will understand that. You then. absolutely mm. will. And the reason that I wanted to do this is, look, I, I'll admit I'm actually not fluent in Irish, mm. but I enjoy Irish and I feel that we all have that Irish kind of lurking somewhere in us. You know, if we hear something like, you know, on will Cadigam Dulgadin Letras, we know what we it means. It. Yeah. yeah, we have that. We, we did spend the years listening to those <laughs> um, phrases. And... I feel like if I just throw in some Irish with conversational English, then it might get a little bit rejigged in the brain for us all. And it's a way for me to learn more Irish and it's a way for anyone listening to just have a bit of fun with Irish. It doesn't all have to be Mm. You know, we can talk about the next song from Taylor Swift, Um, and it's going to be really easy. It's going to be fun. It's just going to be, you know, all the best hits as usual on beat. Um, for three hours and then the cupola fuckle thrown in as well. So I'm really excited about it. It's Dumb Music Day Downig and it's from four o'clock today. Great. Dumb Music Day Downig. I had that pronounced completely differently, but there you go. <laughs> four o'clock today until seven o'clock. I'm really looking forward to it. Thanks, Best of luck Ella. and thanks for coming in this morning. The Sunday Grill with Crane and Crane Insurance. To compare motor and home insurance quotes across multiple different insurers, see craneandcrane.ie.